and go. Hey there, this is James Colburn with the book Resucceed, jamescolburn.net, and you're listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. Kick back, kick your feet up, have a beer, enjoy. I like it. Well done, sir. <laughs> I, I used your beer thing, but we could do one more if you'd like. No, it's perfect. Okay. I want people drinking beer when they listen to okay, the show. Okay, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're driving. If you're driving, don't drink beer. Well, okay. So I'm going to hit stop and then I'll come right back. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Van Ekren, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer, and welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going great, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, uh, you know what? I have an admission now, though. Uh, I know you're in Chicago, and uh, that means you're probably yep. a Bears fan. I don't know if you know this, but uh, I grew up like 50 miles north of Green Bay, so that means we're sort of like um, football rivals. That's not going to be a problem with me. <laughs> I'll let it go this time. You'll let it go this time. <laughs> Hey, at least you guys are looking at maybe getting a quarterback of the future, possibly, right? We'll see. We'll you, see. <laughs> you sound like every Bears fan I've talked to in the last three years, just full of like, oh, I don't even know what the word, what is the emotion that you feel towards the Bears? Um, uh, <laughs> basically, it's it's this, it's, it's hatred combined with love. <laughs> I, you know, as a Packer fan, I know exactly what you're talking about because, you know, people forget since like Favre and Rogers have been around forever. Um, before Favre and Rogers, like when I was a kid growing up, the Packers stunk like all the time. Sure. You remember that, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the Lynn Dickey days, as I like to say, you know, <laughs> it wasn't good. They were not good. So, and the Bears have certainly had their their crappy years as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to count. Right. But you can always go back and remember the Super Bowl shuffle. That was awesome. That absolutely. And the fridge. And the, fridge. the fridge. And what's his name? Jim McMahon with his yes. sunglasses. <laughs> yes. It was awesome. You know, I became a, a closet Bears fan that season because, of course, the Packers stunk. Right. <laughs> You know, now you're admitting to sin. <laughs> well, I mean... Am I going to disown you now? No. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, Packer fans are generally realistic. You know, when, they're, when their team stinks, they're not going to go out and buy new stuff and change teams. They'll freely admit, well, you know, I still love them. They just stink. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you have that. Yeah. There you go. All <laughs> right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what you've got going on because you're about to launch your podcast, right? At stateoflogic.com. Talk a little bit about what you got going on. Yeah. So um, I have been kind of on a mission to uh, 
get people to to think more logically, rationally. Oh, good um, luck with that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a real challenge. Yeah. Believe me, I know. Right. Um. But but I think that that that's going to make everyone a little bit happier and healthier. And sure. so, um, the entire concept of the state of logic is to have interesting conversations, whether they be funny, whether they be informative, whether they be political or whatever. Right. The, the entire concept is to present a different way of thinking about something uh-huh. while also being entertained sure. with the hope that the audience will, if, if it strikes a nerve with them, either good or bad, they're going to go out on the internet, they're going to do some research and come to a fact-based conclusion. <laughs> Wow. I know. Wow. World. <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't laughing at you, but that's really tall order. Hey, either big, go big or go home. But you know what? Hell yeah. That's a big, hairy, audacious goal. Good for <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, the, the reason why that sounds um, hard you know, and hey, you know, doing hard things is great. You don't want to do easy shit because you're done too quick and then you're bored. But um, have you ever heard of, uh, well, of, that's a stupid question. Did you know that the, the guy that does Dilbert, the Dilbert uh, comic, his name is Scott Adams. He does a blog, right? And he's also on podcast quite a bit. And um, I heard him on the James Altucher podcast. And he was talking about one of his big aha moments Um, when he was in his 20s. He took a hypnosis class, right? And that one of the key fundamental discoveries was was that people are are never, ever logical or rational. (laughs) They pretend (laughs) they pretend to be right. They they make they make decisions that are important based on emotion. And and then so, you know. It was he. So basically, you know, it was an aha moment for me because I was like, "Oh, that's why people don't make sense." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's a very sad, but true statement, especially yeah. in today's world. Right. Um, and I think, honestly, we are going down a path of being less and less logical, right. and that's what scares me. Right. And so that's really what inspired me to do this in the first place. Well, you know, I think um, from your background, you know, um, you know, being involved in SWAT and things like that um, and me being in the in the government, I've seen how you can sort of like, I don't know how to say this, but sort of like plan around in groups the fundamental flaws of that, those emotional decision-making tendencies that all humans have, <laughs> right? Because we send yes. people to the moon, right? I mean, so we can, in groups, effectively do rational things. It's just rare. Well, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> but when, if you get the if you get the right people, I don't know. Have you ever worked with like those seriously like? Uh, a little, uh, they're math enabled type people like engineers. Have you ever worked with those folks? Oh, all the time. Right. So uh, let me, let me compare notes here. So a lot of times, uh, those folks aren't so good with the social graces. It's almost like 
the part of their brain, right? <laughs> Uh, that is dedicated to doing like math and stuff is so developed that it's like they they're a little less good at the what they call like people skills, right? Absolutely, right. And and, and you're you're hitting it nail on the head when you talk about engineers, right? Because it's it's the the hard sciences that often are overlooked by the less logical because it doesn't strike an emotional chord. Correct. Right. And the opposite is true for the math people. Absolutely. Right. Why would they care about something that is opinion? You right. can't prove right. it, so I don't care. Right. <laughs> Do the proof. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I sat, uh, uh, no, that's a dumb story, so I'll, I'll skip it. Okay. So, um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about you and your background. And you were a logistics officer for a SWAT team. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, as much as you can without like uh, misrepresenting anybody as we talked. Yeah, about. yeah. So <laughs> basically, um, I, I was a civilian on a SWAT team. Okay. My job as a logistics officer was to professionalize the SWAT team, which let me tell you is like herding cats. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I love that term. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, look, you, you know, Mythbusters people used to. Heard they did an experiment of herding cats. We'll talk about that later. No, did they? Yeah, oh, you I have, have to go check that. that out. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Um, and so you know, you worked in the government, so you know right. that that there is a lot of inefficiency oh, yeah. in government. A lot of stupidity. So, oh yeah. Oh, a tremendous amount. Yes. And my biggest fear, uh, I started in 2006. I saw that that we were doing really well economically. And typically when you're doing really well economically, you have to prepare for the hard times that are sure to come. Sure. <laughs> and Always, yes. Yes, absolutely. And so um, when 2008 hit and we saw a collapse of the tax base because people could no longer afford their homes, right? the first that affects is – budgets of police departments. And more specifically, mm, right. the first thing most police departments cut, because again, they're not that bright, is training. Right. But training is the most important thing ever. And we Always. experienced yeah. that on the SWAT team. Okay. And so that's when I realized I have to do something. I don't know what, but I have to do something. And a few months later is when I started Fulcrum Tactical uh -huh. out of being on the SWAT team, and I was still on the SWAT team at the time, so that we could provide training to SWAT teams nationwide. Oh, nice. And it was a great experience because anytime you get to blow stuff up and shoot stuff and you get paid is a good day. <laughs> it's right? almost, it's mean, almost like you're a Mythbuster. <laughs> I'm just simply not that cool. That's the only difference. Right, right. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think myth, being a Mythbuster would be a perfect job for me, except I don't know how to build things. So other than that, you know, I could I could definitely be a Mythbuster. Yeah, I'm, I'm the exact same way. We, we could do half the job. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but um, I could I could maybe, look yeah. like an idiot. You know that, that I'm good at that. <laughs> Sadly, so am I. Um, so you know that that's where where the the SWAT team thing started was I, I wanted to help, and right. I, and I and I part of what I studied in school was criminal justice, and I did a ride along that was really cool, and I started doing and then I did two thousand hours of ride alongs in college. Wow. Um, just to understand it. 
because I knew I didn't. I grew up in a upper middle class suburb. I didn't understand crime. I didn't understand what what other pe- how other people lived. So sure. I worked in some of the worst places in Chicago. Mm. And I, I really got a sense of what was going on. And then I, I, I said to do my best to, to solve at least some of the problems that that, that, that that was coming up out of that. And and the biggest thing is that police departments just don't have the funding nor the training needed to mm. deal with huge variety of problems that they right. encounter on a daily basis. Right, right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't. Have you ever seen, um, or well, let me just run this by you. In your experience, um, do you think it would be a good idea for more police officers to be uh, better at, say, like hand to hand combat? So, absolutely. Right. Um, <laughs> any kind of combatives training, whether that be with or without weapons. Right, right. Um, the the more tra- it, it is a make a them feel more fact. confident without exactly. having to pull their gun. Exactly. That's the but idea. But I think the other challenge p- that people have to understand is we have to change the laws that that the police have to follow. Because if the police do something that even is considered um, morally correct, mm. but illegal, the police yeah the officer still gets fired. Right. Right. And so, you know, yeah, I, there, there are several examples, for example, of a uh, a young man in, I believe it was Cincinnati, pulled a knife on a police officer. Mm-hmm. The partner, instead of shooting that, that young man, he tackled him to the ground. Mm-hmm. He ended up getting stabbed, but he was okay. Mm-hmm. And the young man didn't die. He was fired because he did not he take did, appropriate action. He did the right thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't take appropriate action. What, kill him? What? It, it, right, exactly. Shoot him. Oh, jeez. And wow. so there's That's this nuts. huge paradigm problem. Shift, yeah. We have. Needs, yeah, there's, right. a, there's a paradigm shift, that, and it's causing a huge problem in our society. Mm. And, and it's also linked to how many lawsuits there are oh, and yeah. all that other stuff. I mean, there, there's a huge problem overall. But I think the first thing we need to change is the laws. And, mm. and we also need to keep training our cops. Yeah. No, I, I saw uh, one of my buddies is uh, into uh, jujitsu. So he's always putting videos right on uh, on Facebook about you know his school and and how good it is. And one of them was a video, a no kidding, real video from a a police uh, was trying to subdue a guy, and the guy, you know, was sort of like he was he basically ran away when the cop tried to put handcuffs on him. Right, and the cop used jujitsu, of course, to subdue him. <laughs> And he yep. was very, very um, uh, professional, you know, and, you know, just like, you know, here's a knee in your back. <laughs> I'm right. not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to put these cuffs on you. Right. You know, so exactly. and, yep. you know, that 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 made me have that aha moment of, you know, police officers need to have a whole toolkit of things other than a gun or a taser. So, yeah, I'm with you on yes. that. Right. I think there, there, we also have to address the bigger problem also, which is unions. Ah, um, we can't wow. hire crappy cops. Interesting. That's, and so if you can't, so yeah, yeah, no, if that, one third or one fourth of your police department refuses to go to training, yeah. you have a problem in and of itself. 
Of course. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to happier things. (laughs) (laughs) So you did that for a while, right? Um, So let's talk a little bit about Fulcrum Farms. So, and mostly, how did you transition from, you know, working with SWAT teams and training police officers to thinking, hmm, farming? (laughs) That's interesting. Right. It it can be kind of a, a, a draining. Uh, exercise to try and train people that don't want to be trained. Okay. That makes sense. And so while I was running Fulcrum Tactical, I was also, that's when I founded the farm. Oh, okay. And I did it specifically so I had a peaceful, wonderful place to get away to sure. and okay. learn to relax a little bit. Get out in nature. Point, I was right. Like a hundred hours a week. Wow. Oh my it God. was overwhelming. Yeah. And so that's when I, I started down the road of trying to become as mentally healthy as possible mm-hmm. so I could be as productive as possible. And farming for me is what allowed me to do that. One of the many things. Mm. Uh, and now I live out of the farm and I love it. I'm looking out over an amazing pasture uh, on an 80 degree wonderful day here in Southern Chicago. Wow. And you've got all kinds of animals. It sounds like you've got at chickens and some sort of animals. So that we have all like- sorts animals yeah yeah wow so and and that turned out to be fun and and profitable uh fun it will never be profitable oh, okay <laughs> if, if, <laughs> on if, purpose if sounds like right farming, you are a genius <clears throat> okay. um I, i'm saying I, at our scale we have 60 acres it's very small right okay so Those you're mostly doing it for the fun acres. part yeah exactly okay gotcha okay so now um you have since moved on from Fulcrum Tactical, and yep. now you're a full-time investor slash podcaster. Is that right? That is correct, yes. Okay. So talk a little bit about how you got into investing. So what I realized from starting Fulcrum Tactical, which you know I had very little experience uh, with the police, and yet I, I started a successful company and sold it. And then I realized if I can do that there, I can pretty much – apply that business concept to anything else. Sure. And so um, I've, I've been investing on the side since 2006, but I started professionally investing simply because I knew I could provide the help needed to these companies. And really, in my opinion, the, the startups in, in this country are the fuel for our economy. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. And so if I I can help our economy if I can make money doing it, and if I can do something I love, which is business, all at the same time. That's an amazing thing. And um, so, you know, we started off with just uh, a few employees, and now we have eight, and we are growing quickly and and doing some really cool investments that uh, range drastically from food and fashion all the way through to um, medical. And hardcore tech, uh, AI-enabled things, that kind of thing, and everything in between. Wow. Okay. So you're kind of like, uh, what kind of, of, of investor are you? You're one of those, um, like a seed or angel or? Yeah, <clears throat> I invest between seed and Series B, so it's pretty broad. Right. Um, and so Series B is like the second or third round or something. Correct. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. And. Uh, 
And, and what, what we really enjoy is working closely with those companies. Okay. Uh, we don't want to just give someone money and be done. We have this huge team that's very talented, and we want to utilize that team to help our investments succeed. So you're trading, um, you're giving them money, and then in return, you're getting equity, and also you're providing expertise. Correct. Yes. Wow. But that, I, I can see where that would be hugely beneficial to the startup, too. It is if they're willing to accept it. Right. Right. Well, that would be part of the whole, like, you're not going to do the deal, right? <laughs> you, yes, exactly. <clears throat> that yeah. is correct. Right, right. No, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. That that whole world is a little scary to me because I've been investing just like stock market investing forever. Um, it seems really safe. <laughs> You know, sure. yeah. Well, to me, anyway, it's not. But you know, I'm at least familiar with the risk. Is, I, is so when I hear people talking about investing in startups, that just seems like, wow. <laughs> it is very risky. Yeah. There's no doubt. Right. Right. Well, there are you, you can you can mitigate the risk. You know, I've heard like some very top level type of things where it's like. You only invest in things that are going to give you at least 5x kind of thing. So you only have to be right one of five times to break even kind of idea. That, that is certainly the hope. It usually right. doesn't work out like that, though. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just what you tell yourself to say you're not an idiot. <laughs> that's exactly right. That is exactly right. We get back to that emotion over logic. Right, right, right. So let's talk. Uh, uh, let's get into the State of Logic podcast. So, what's the plan? Is it just going to be you talking to folks, or is there you and a co-host? What's the idea? Yeah. So I have a co-host. His name's Stephen Grutius. He lives in Scottsdale. I live here in Chicago. Okay. And we've we've been business partners on many different startups for quite a few years. Okay. And so we have. Very similar beliefs in business, but we have very different life experiences. And so, you know, he uh, he tends to have an amazing networking ability. So he's interviewing billionaires and oh, wow. uh, governors of states, whereas wow. I'm more going toward uh, finding the the ridiculous, the, the that brilliant, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, math um, math professor that came with this this insane company or whatever i like to go down that road but we what we really try and do is um provide a really unique way to entertain people and educate people all at the same time no that you know if you're gonna do any sort of like podcast it has to be entertaining first well i guess it doesn't have to be but if you want people to listen <laughs> exactly exactly is that there's a little thing about getting people to listen that matters well you know, if you don't care, then then do whatever the hell you want, right? But if sure. you actually want people to listen, then yes. You have to be at least mildly entertaining. And then, you know, people also want to learn something too, usually. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, ha I'm kind of bored with a lot of the um, businessy podcasts. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? They're Absolutely. all about these action steps and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, really, if I want action yeah. steps, I could just download a PDF. Right. Well, not only that, but I think that that's why I was so, that's why I enjoy your podcast because it's much more of a conversation. Right. Right. And lots of laughing and me being yes. an idiot. Yes. That's that's the goal. Well, absolutely. Because when you're an idiot, 
it, that means other people are laughing. Right. <laughs> right. And that's exactly what you need so that people will actually listen. There you go. There you go. So when do you guys uh, launch your podcast or have you already launched? So we have a few up on the website. Okay. But we'll be officially launching and releasing several, probably five or more episodes in the next two or three weeks. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So very soon. And uh, it's interesting you say that you, you know, you're getting kind of sick of the businessy podcast because we actually started off as a business podcast and then we chose not to go down that road because it was so boring. Well, I think the, you know, the John Lee Dumas sort of phenomena, like everybody decided just to make, try to copy his show. And and then they were going to get rich too. <laughs> right. That exactly. that might that might work once or twice, maybe. <laughs> Not the 180 times. Right. The, it, it's amazing how many are out there. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Everybody else that did that, I did that too. Guess what? Didn't work. Killed that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great that you fail, right? Because it teaches you the most. No, you're right. You know, and it's it was it was fine that uh and you're right. You know, it's um it's a relatively cheap way to learn. Um and because you know, now I know soup to nuts how to, you know, make a podcast. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> I'm on my third one already. It's a lot of work, but you know, I learned how. So when when I closed that show down and started this show, you know, it, I already knew all the steps involved, so made it a and lot that's, easier. That's yeah. part about failing. Correct. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. So, okay. So what should we talk about next? Um, ooh, this is going to piss everybody off. Let's talk about guns in America. <laughs> yes. Yes. It does piss people off. Um, all right. So to, to be clear, I trained SWAT teams. Now, I want to be clear. I was a business guy teaching or, or, or um, hiring trainers. So I'm not a true tactical expert in, in that world. Okay. But I took every single class. We, we had 48 different classes that we taught. I took every one. So I am very familiar with guns and I've owned guns my entire life. Wow. And so when, when the debate around guns came up around when Obama was elected, okay, um, and everyone was scared he was going to take away guns and all that, I started really diving into the numbers. What is the FBI? What is the U.S. government telling us around gun violence? What is really going on? Right. Okay. And what I realized was that we have a very unique set of circumstances in this country. Sure. First of all, we have 300 million guns at least, and we have 350 million people. About. Wow. So. We have a lot, we have more guns in this country than any other country per capita. Yeah, that's crazy. On top of that, if you combine that with with the fact that it is very difficult to enforce gun laws simply because we have this crazy thing called the Fourth Amendment, which says that the police can't just come into your house and look for guns. Right. Um, <laughs> and which, in, we, in, in the larger view, I kind of agree with. But it oh, is, I totally agree it, with. Yes, you know, it, it could be you know sort of like maybe. You know, put some limits on it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think the the bigger challenge here is when we talk about gun control. I think that the gun control we have is just fine. I have no problem with that. What scares me is people saying we should be taking away guns or we should stop selling guns or whatever. Right. 
And I think the bigger thing people need to understand is, you know, there are guns from World War One that are just as effective at killing people as <laughs> guns that are sold today. Oh, yeah. And they still – and so if we take away guns now, if we stop selling guns now, if we, you know, went to the extreme, and even if we, you know – Stopped all gun sales. There are still 300 million guns in this country, and there <laughs> are billions true. of rounds. You're right. Wow. Yeah, and that's so crazy. So not gonna stop violence. Right. And if someone really wants to be violent, then it's gonna then it's gonna turn out to be like what happened in China a few years ago with that crazy guy with a butcher knife killing 50 kids in a school. Yeah. If someone wants to hurt someone. They're gonna figure out a way. Yeah. You know. And you, there was a terrorist that used a truck. Right. You know. And it didn't have any bombs in it. Yep. You know, so there's it's like always way. there's always a way to do some violence. So, yeah, yeah you know, the the uh, the idea that you can just like fix it, fix a problem with a little law is always that that goes to that. People aren't logical. Thing. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. And, and, and also we have to consider like we have this, you know, the Second Amendment, which allows us to have guns. And if that were to be taken away, I honestly believe we would have a civil war on our hands. Yeah, people would go a little nuts. That that's probably that's not going to happen. I mean, no. I I couldn't imagine. You know, even if I were a, a science fiction writer doing an alternate reality kind of book, that would be really hard to make up a scenario where that would happen and make it believable. <laughs> Exactly. I can't, exactly. I can't see it I, uh, unless there was like mass mind control from aliens or something. Then yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't get it either. I think that even if we, even if we saw, you know, a a nine eleven size event having to do with guns, I think that it would be very. We'd be very hard pressed to still get rid of the Second Amendment just because of the inherent problems that we already have and that it would cause. Right. Well, I think people are, you know, like. They're they're more afraid of the totalian or some like Hitler showing up and taking over, you know, right. because that was one of the things that he did. He he was like, okay, nobody can have guns anymore because you know we want to shoot you. <laughs> right. I don't think that was his exact sales tactic, well, but no. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was that. That's what he didn't say, right? Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So what what's your opinion of uh, say like so you don't you don't think any sort of gun control measures are a good idea? No 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 I oh, I okay. think the gun control measures we have today are great. Okay, all right. Uh, I'm simply saying that furthering gun control to an extreme yeah, it's is not, not really going to help. help. Yeah yeah you're probably right. Absolutely. Yeah. We should not be giving a you know a guy that was convicted of murder three times a gun. That is not a good idea. <laughs> you know what? He could probably get one anyway, but we we shouldn't Sadly, be we shouldn't be true. we shouldn't be complicit in the act, right? That's right. There should you be know, a way of filtering out those folks. Yes, exactly. And you know, to that point of he'd be able to get one anyway. I've actually had the very great fortune of working with the police across the country. I've done about ten thousand hours of ride-alongs. Right. Um, wow. And so I really have a, a pretty deep understanding of it without being indoctrinated in the police culture. And so I can see it from both sides. And what I was shocked to find out was that, you know, in, in a low 
poor socioeconomic neighborhoods where guns and drugs are more of a problem, right. gun dealers – or I'm sorry, drug dealers often rent guns as a second revenue stream. They rent them? Yes. Wow. And that's what people don't think about is how does this gun have like four different murders on it when they when the police finally confiscate it? It's because it's not that the guy that was holding it at that moment committed those four murders over the past 12 years. It's just that the gun has been rented to a bunch of different people mm. to commit a bunch of different crimes over that time. Wow. that I've never, ever even heard of that system. You, it's, never, it's, you never see that on TV or movies. <laughs> how are you going to get a drug dealer to admit that, right? Well, I love that. I mean, I don't love it. That's bad, right? But... It's it's a you know that's a real eye opener. I mean, it makes total economic sense when you think about it. Sure, because you Second. don't need to keep a gun, right? <laughs> it's almost like uh, when I was a kid, I never wanted to, and I was experimenting with weed. You know, I never wanted the weed in my possession. Right. <laughs> exactly. Aha! See. <laughs> Well, that reminds me of an absolutely hilarious traffic stop we made sure. where we pulled, we pulled over a guy and pulled him out of the car. He, he was actually being very nice, but but it, he, he openly made, he's like, yeah, there, there's marijuana in the car. We're like, okay. We found the marijuana. Like, well, look, you know, we'll just write you a, a municipal ticket for it. No big deal. But as protocol insists, we have to search him. And so we search him and we find cocaine in one of his cargo pockets and his argument – for for it was these are not my pants. <laughs> and to this day, it, it it just sticks with us. Like someone someone says something, and we're like, no, bro, th those aren't our pants. That's not our responsibility. <laughs> like, who steals someone else's pants? Seriously, I, I just like, borrowed these pants. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I was in a hurry when I got out of the shower. And I couldn't find my pants. <laughs> so I was like, hey, bro, can I wear these pants? <laughs> it's okay. Never mind the crack cocaine in the pocket. It's fine. Wow. He must have been high. Or I'm stupid. Sure he was. One or the other. Probably a combination. Yeah, probably a combo. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So <clears throat> did you ever run into any sort of like uh, – like no kidding, legitimate, dangerous situations in all those ride-alongs. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've been to several riots. Um, wow. Yikes. That, yeah, it's there's there's some areas in in the south the suburbs of Chicago that used to and sometimes still do um, have big uh, riots that the media never covers. Uh, because it's in lower socioeconomic neighborhoods, which right. is ridiculous, right? Right. And that's true, though. Uh, I mean, it's, because the, it's, these, news these, is a joke. Right. Right. And and when I say poor people, like I feel bad for these people, the, these upstanding citizens, because they have to worry about their houses, their doors being kicked in, and people stealing their stuff, all because there's another hundred people out there being idiots. Right. No, you're right. Uh, and so that's really where. Uh, I, I I saw a lot of not a lot of that, but I saw that often, and and it was it was worrisome for me. And then the other things that that I experienced a lot of was just like we talked about before, a combination of people being on drugs, 
and people being stupid and having an emotional reaction right. to you broke the law. It's it's if they had just said, "Hey, I, I'm ready to to accept the consequences," it would never been an issue. But instead, they had to try and hurt other people, other citizens, and police officers, and then that turns into a very dangerous situation for both them and the police and the citizens around them. Oh, for for sure, for sure. That that those things are scary because you don't know what's going to happen, and and that's kind of gets back to the fact of police officers are not trained well enough to deal with every different kind of circumstance that I've seen. And I certainly have not seen it all. Right. No, for sure. You know, the other thing that, uh, that I've noticed is I bet during those ride alongs, you probably didn't spend a lot of time in the, uh, sort of like nicer neighborhoods. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. You say that the first ride along I did was in my hometown. Okay. And it was actually, very informative as I rode with more high crime uh, areas because the policing style was very, very different. Of course. Um, oh, yeah. and, and it gave me perspective. Whereas if I had only worked in areas that were high crime, I would have one perspective. But this allowed me to work in some upper middle class neighborhoods and some really kind of lower socioeconomic neighborhoods. Right. And, and get that great understanding of how this is different, but also the different responsibilities that are put on police. Right. Oh, yeah. It's completely different. Completely. Completely. You know, I, uh, I spent the last 13 years or so in Southern California. So, I mean, in, in Southern California, you don't have to drive that far to go from like, you know, the where the poor people live to where the middle class people live to where the rich people live they're all really close together <laughs> like sure. a number just a matter of miles you know yep uh and um i <clears throat> i lived sort of like hmm, maybe like 2 miles away from like the border of uh say middle class zone right mm-hmm. and you know, where where I lived, I was in unincorporated L.A. County, okay? So that meant there was no LAPD. We had to call the sheriff, right? Yep. L.A. County sheriff is, oh, my God, right? L.A. County is huge. Huge. So it's the largest, it's the largest um, sheriff's office in the nation. They don't have, they don't really give a shit about anything unless there's guns involved. <laughs> Right. They really don't because they got bigger fish to fry. Right. Then you drive a mile. Yep. Right. And then you're in, you know, Torrance, California, and they've got a PD. Right. They've got their own uh, little Torrance PD. And I swear to God, those guys, uh, I don't know what they're doing, but essentially the, the, the rules that I've seen was like parking enforcement. And uh, and then you know keeping people away from the border. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, you know it's, what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's it's sad but true. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think the the other thing that, that we have to emphasize there is that those smaller police departments also don't have the same resources. Right. So there is a fear for them that if if crime spikes in their na- in their area then they're going to lose jobs right. because the they won't people people will move out right and so yeah, they just then, do everything they can to support 
Yeah, they're being their they're, own job. They're afraid a, that they their 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 town's going to be unincorporated, and then they right. won't have a job, and they'll get like maybe they'll get in with the the sheriff or some other local PD. But yeah, wow, it it definitely creates a conflict for sure. For sure, wow, scary. It is. <laughs> it definitely is. We're laughing way too much about a very serious subject. I think. But maybe. if you can't, you know, yeah, you have to the laugh. Cops about have it. a really sick sense of humor. That's and true. it's it's because you either have to laugh or cry about it, and we'd much rather laugh. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and I've got all the respect for because I I look at police and military and firefighters and on all these folks, the first responder family, as you know, they're my buds. You know, <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't go twenty years in the air force and not start to feel you know. You, you you take the good with the bad, but I'm on their side, you know, and and I think regardless of how, you know, effed up the whole situation is, I'm still, you know, rooting for them to win, you know, uh, right. you know what I'm saying? You know, because it's like, absolutely. We can't just be like lawless. That's just crazy. It's not going to work. Uh, no, it's just no, 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 no. You're right. Now, let me ask you a question. Sure. What, what was your experience in the military as far as, you know, working in a lar- very large and very inefficient system? W- were there frustrations there? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is, is, uh, you know, I, I think I had probably like that sort of like Pollyanna when, you know, because I joined the military when I was 18, right? So, thoroughly naive thoroughly you know no clue about how the world really works right yeah and so you go through these sort of like you know the book says this and that's not how we do it (laughs) right and that just keeps going on and on and on and on and on and at some point i had a very cool commander and um you know, he uh, he and I were having a discussion about, you know, like, who should I listen to the the uh, the Air Force instruction wherein uh, compliance is mandatory or my commander who, you know, signs my evaluation report every year. And 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 he said, you know, my vote's on me. <laughs> sure. But you got to do what you got to do, you know. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, that that Air Force instruction, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't sign my evaluation. So, and, and they always include this little line that says, you know, the, it's, it's said over and over and over again, discretion at commander discretion. Like there's a lot of that in there. So if my commander says, yeah, you know, I'm going to give this guy a little leeway. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you sure. know, once I had that sort of, um, uh, revelation, I guess. Uh, things got lots easier. You know, it, it was like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do we get home really fast when we're doing this stupid thing? You know, it, it comes about, you, you stop, stop arguing with reality, I think, is is where you arrive at. Not, not everybody gets there, though, right? And I'm sure you well, met a lot of folks that were the defenders of the faith type. You know, it, it's interesting you say that the, the vast majority of cops do have that um, this is the protocol. We have to follow it. And I think it's more so because it takes a heck of a lot more to be court-martialed in 
the military than it does to be fired by the police. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so in many ways, I think the government, the larger government, we're talking about the Air Force in this case, right. um, has um, has some leeway they can give you, but they, they can they can slam you if they oh, yeah. want. Right. But it, they're but they're not going to fire you for it. Whereas the police, you make one split second decision and it can end your career. Absolutely. And then you know the other key important thing here is people don't understand. Once you're fired from the police department, you can never get on. It's not that you never, but it's extremely hard to get on another police department. Next to impossible. Ever. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. No, that that makes sense. Yeah, I think the uh, you're right about what you said about the military. Is it's the when you screw up, there's like the first time you screw up, they're in correct mode, right? They they still love you, but they're smacking your hand, right? Like a kid, yep. right? I, I'm I'm loving you and hating the sin, <laughs> as they say. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> right. So, you know, a commander once said, like, um, we're trying to help you until we don't like you, and then we're not trying to help you anymore. And once, you know, so it's like you only get so many chances to shape up. Yes. And if you don't yeah. take those chances, then, you know, then we're showing you the door, right? So, you know, it happens. You know, sometimes people just want out, and, uh, and they'll just do whatever they got to do, you know, hopefully avoid federal prison. Um, (laughs) yeah, right. You know, the thing is though, um, you know, I had a boss, uh, in the military and when I was in, uh, where was I? I was in Saudi Arabia. Right. And I had a subordinate, right. And she was getting me in trouble. Okay. So I was like saying to my boss, look, I have to do something, you know, corrective, I want to write her like something like a letter of counseling or something. Sure. To let her know that like this is what you did wrong. This is what you should do in the future. And then say, okay, I'm going to take this and put it in my desk. And then if you if you behave correctly from now on, I'll throw it away when I leave or when you leave. And I won't send it to your c- commander at home because we're all, you know, on deployment. And, um, of course, you know, that worked. <laughs> sure. Well, and, and I think that's, that's something that, for example, police departments just simply can't do. Really? Oh, absolutely not. No, if, if, uh, the, the police departments work on, I, I think there, there's two problems inherent to that. One is that there is a lot of bad, um, bad faith in, the upper management of, I would call it 10 or 20% of the police departments. Okay. And so they're going to document everything they can so that they're just whenever C- they choose C- to dislike mode. someone, okay. they can fire them. Oh, right. Gotcha. Firing fodder. And they want it on exactly. everybody regardless, right? Yes, absolutely. And I so know now, people like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so now the problem is that these police departments aren't, for example, Cook County has a uh, several hundred page um, book of rules and guidelines to follow by the sheriff's department. Oh the God. problem is that they're saying you can use no electronics while you drive, but it's also illegal or, or a fireable offense to not tell them when you're in a pursuit. But if you're in a pursuit, 
pursuit. Don't you have to be on the radio to tell them you're in a pursuit? Yep. I guess so. That, so they're just trying to yeah, create yeah. those loopholes so they can fire someone for if any they reason. They want to, right? Right. If they so choose. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not rational people. <laughs> no, not at people all. People are never rational or logical. No, no, we're not. <laughs> never. So I, I applaud your effort to uh, thank you to try to bring some logic into humanity. <laughs> We it, now that we're talking about this, it seems like an even bigger task. Well, <laughs> you know what though? Even if the show comes around to you basically saying, you know, people are very rarely logical or rational, but we can change that. Right. <laughs> we don't. Exactly. All, we don't all have to be Mr. Spock all the time. But wouldn't it be helpful if we could just a little bit every once in a while, <laughs> or, or or be able to turn it on and off? Right. Yes. Which really, I mean, I think that comes down to being self-aware, oh, right? Oh, for sure. Understanding yes. your own biases and, yeah. and emotions and where they come from. But very few people are like that. Thankfully, I've been working for the past seven years to be as self-aware as possible. So I think I'm somewhat there. Well, yeah. you know, But I don't think any human can be truly self-aware. Yeah. I mean, the more you date, have you ever, Scott, uh, Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy, he wrote a book, right? Uh, it's kind of a self-helpy book. It's really good. Um, but in there, he, he listed out, I want to say probably over a hundred, maybe more, uh, different psychological bias biases that that. we should all know about. (laughs) You would love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought I knew a lot of them too. You know, um, and I thought I had, you know, at least a passing kind of like awareness of when when I'm getting screwed over <laughs> by myself and others. Uh, but oh my god, he really opened my eyes. It's like now I have to go and like Google all of those. I'm like, what the hell is that? You know, uh, right? Yeah. Anyway, but hey, this has been a blast. It's so true. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it has been absolutely great talking, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so you are at, um, let me make sure I get the URL right, stateoflogic.com, correct? It is thestateoflogic.com. The state of logic. See, you got me to say it twice. Thestateoflogic.com. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) I try. I try. Well done. Kevin, and let me make sure if I, let me see if I can get your name right. Kevin Van Ekstrom. Van Ekerin. Van Ekerin. Wow. See? I, I screwed up and put fulcrum in there. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Van Eckeren, this has been a blast. I love your laugh too. See, we could do a show together and just laugh for an hour or so. <laughs> I don't know if that would be all that informative, but it would be entertaining. It would be entertaining. Thank you, sir. And uh, good luck to your bears this year. Thank you so All much. The best. Thank you for having me on. Also, thank you for do, d- producing such a great podcast. I've really enjoyed listening. Well, thanks, man. You have a good one. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.